Do you ever feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of snacks and meals? We get it. That's why we're excited to share Home Threads, the ultimate solution for creating a stylish and functional family space. At HomeThreads.com, discover furniture that can handle the chaos of family life. From wipeable dining chairs to kitchen tables and light fixtures. Or you can just freshen up your kitchen with trays, counter lamps, decor, and other affordable accents that will help you update your kitchen into a room you love spending time in. Head over to HomeThreads.com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for Dinner and I Just Feed You, to get a code for 15% off your first order. Because if you're going to be feeding them three times a day, plus snacks, you deserve a home that feeds your style. HomeThreads, love where you live. That's HomeThreads.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y today to get 15% off your first order. This episode is brought to you with support from Whole Foods. As a resident Greek girl, I am a sucker for Mediterranean flavors and want you to taste the Mediterranean too. Go to Whole Foods Market now and save on regionally inspired products through March 19th. Find sales on animal welfare certified meat, including boneless, skinless, air-chilled chicken breast, bone-in beef short ribs, ground lamb, and more. Save on whole bronzini and sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon. And stock up on Mediterranean essentials like feta cheese crumbles, whole wheat pita pockets, and if you're over 21, wines from Spain, Greece, and Italy. Grab your ingredients and experiment with family-friendly Mediterranean cuisine today. Think Greek-style ground lamb pitas, lemony oven-roasted chicken, or bronzino, or instant pot short ribs braised in wine. All simple and delicious. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. This week's episode is brought to you by our friends at Breyers Ice Cream, America's number one ice cream brand. Breyers Carb Smart offers food lovers like me on a low-carb diet a line of sweets with three to five grams net carbs per serving in flavors like chocolate-covered almond, vanilla, peanut butter, and caramel swirl. They are the perfect way to get my frozen treat fix, except for the fact that they're so good my kids keep stealing my stash. To get an exclusive discount on your next purchase, visit Breyers.com backslash didn't I just feed you. When I mess up dinner, I change the name to adjust expectations. I have <laughs> seriously, it really works. So you know when you when you burn something, you don't burn it, you've blackened it. Uh, yes. When you yeah, right? Like when you make something too spicy, you just call it spicy. Oh, those meatballs are supposed to taste like that. Or when I have served bitter eggplant salad, I'm like, yeah, that bitterness, that's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. If you adjust <laughs> expectations, people are uh, prepared and then it seems to taste better. Plus, chances are you as the cook are going to be a lot less forgiving of what you've made because you had you knew what it was in your head when you started. Your family didn't. That's true. Your family didn't. <laughs> so adjust your expectations. Let them adjust theirs. And it, chances are dinner is a lot better than you think. You probably didn't mess up that badly. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You? A podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. This week's episode is all about messing up during cooking. (laughs) (laughs) Really, it's about what to do when you mess it up, right? Like how to fix up common cooking mistakes. Yes. This actually came in as a question in our listeners group. They asked, you know, what do I, how do you fix food after you've messed it up? Mistakes I still make somehow include too spicy, too salty, undercooked, overcooked, dry. Um, So I think we're going to address all of those questions. Plus, we have some expert advice from a few past guests. Yes. 
But before we get started, don't forget to subscribe right where you're listening right now. You can do it. And if you find yourself with an extra minute, rate and review because it makes us happy. And you want to make us happy, don't you? <laughs> no, that was weird. That was a weird riff. Okay. Listen, you do want to make us happy. We're about to help fix your cooking. God darn it. I mean, listen, we're fixing your dinner. Did you pay us? You didn't. So make us happy with a little rate and review. No, we just lost like five subscribers. Um, <laughs> all right, Megan, let's do this. I want to know something and no pressure. I feel like for you as Stacey Billis, for you as a Leo, this is going to be a hard <laughs> question for you to answer. But You're about to challenge my ego. Do you mess up cooking? I do. A lot. Like how often is a lot? And I have to tell you that, okay, so I don't know that I like mess up like where I'm like, oh. Oh, here we go. She's about to billis it. I am about to billis it. It's true. (laughs) I mean, listen, do you like, how often are you like, oh, how often is dinner inedible? Like once a year. Yeah, But how often do I like get off track and have to course correct? Like almost every single night. Absolutely. And here's another thing I will tell you that like my ego is already a bit bruised. So this might be a challenging episode for me to self-reflect and be honest. Okay. Because during quarantine, I'll like, I've been riffing dinner a lot more, like not meal planning, having a ton of groceries and just being like, what needs to be used? I just need to use that. Yeah. Like not going into the kitchen knowing. And I've been improvising and I'm like, ah, this is going to be amazeballs. Like I'm going to develop this recipe. And we sit down and it's like, "Ah, it's good. Like it, it passed. Fine. We eat it. It's good. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Like it's great. It's a great dinner. But I'm like, I'm a professional. <laughs> My improvisations should be like really good. Like I should be able to taste the potential, even if it's not like fully realized. And a whole lot of my dinners have been uninspired. And that happens to me a lot where I'm just like, meh, okay. Yeah. I have to be honest, that's like a lot of meals for me this year. Like, yeah, right. We talked at the end of last year about my just like general burnout. And then I feel like I got a little better. And then we were all quarantined. (laughs) And I've become very like apathetic and lazy about dinner. I'm just like, eh, it's edible. Totally. (laughs) Totally. So that's what we're talking about today. Today, we're going to talk about saving like saving your meal like it's too spicy like it's just sour or bitter or something like that because there are some very common cooking mistakes and some common solutions that don't always take your dish to the like next level but like will certainly save it so that you're not wasting and the time you put into cooking has not gone for nothing I would say also the episode where we talk about how to choose great recipes for your family and for your lifestyle is a really good place to start because uh, it was several weeks ago now, but like in the listeners group, someone made the mapu tofu that you love. And you were like, it was really just too spicy for my family, which is like a legit concern, but it's all too spicy is also a common mistake. So some of it starts with like, really like knowing the recipe that you're cooking, knowing what to expect out of what's coming out of it first so that you don't run into it being too spicy or too salty. Like if a recipe calls for two tablespoons of salt and it's like for a little saute of vegetables, you you can use your cooking instincts to be like, I'm not even going to add that much 
That's so smart. And I, I'm glad you started that you started at the Mapo Tofu because one of the primary solutions for too spicy is to add fat. Yes. And Mapo Tofu is not a dish that can really tolerate like cream or dairy or any of that. So it is a matter of like recognizing the ingredients saying like, oh, two full tablespoons of Szechuan peppercorn. Um, That's really going to make my kid's mouth tingle. (laughs) (laughs) Or this like, you know, this spicy bean paste. Like those are the two ingredients that really give mapo tofu its flavor. And they're both, they give different kinds of spice and heat, but they both like make for a spicy dish. Like if your family doesn't like spicy, that's not going to be one you can fix very easily. Yes. But we did just talk about spicy. So let's start there. Common problem, too spicy. I say add fat. Like I like adding cream. I find that cream helps the most. This is a really useful one. I like cooking um, Indian style curries. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I can get off the mark there. And those recipes... I'm speaking in generalizations here, can often tolerate some cream. Yes. But also, and this is like a very specific example, you can use a little bit of cream even in like a spaghetti dish. Oh, yeah. Without really, like that'll help mellow the heat without like actually making it taste like like a vodka pasta sauce, which is like a little bit of cream and tomato sauce. I know this because... Remember the first time or second time you made my Instant Pot spaghetti and meat sauce and you added too much red pepper flake to it? Yes. And you tried to like just pass it on to the kids. Yes. <laughs> and Oliver was, and like, Wait, was like, ah, what's happening? <laughs> Oliver's on fire. I was like, no, it's not. It's spaghetti and meat sauce. Just eat. Like, just uh, keep going. He's like, well, wait, I, something's different. <laughs> well, I tried to doctor it up too with some red pepper flake and same thing I put too much in at the beginning and it made it like super fiery and so adding a little bit of cream and a little bit of butter to the sauce saved it so it was not too spicy for my family anything else on too spicy well here's a thing that works also it's so the hard thing about like giving this kind of advice is like well what is the dish like you're saying mapu tofu doesn't do well with like adding more fat to it but like pasta dishes do Sometimes the only thing you can do to save it, save whatever you're cooking, is to sort of like change the bulk of the recipe. And this applies for like too spicy or too salty. It's like, can you, if you made something that's like a rice dish, can you make some more like plain rice or pull out a bag of rice from the freezer and like fold that into what was too spicy or too salty to make it more balanced? Or can you add like more veggies to it or more of that just like plain tomato sauce? Great so idea, ways, like a jambalaya or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, or like your awesome bonza pasta with the, the orzo yes. where you make, so it's almost like a risotto thing. It's like one pan. If you buy like really spicy sausage or you use like a super salty chorizo as the base of that and then you get like further into it and it's too spicy, you can add other things to it, like other more bland or more neutral food to it to help make it more balanced. Genius. It's a really easy thing to do. Genius. What about the tip? And this is like mostly applies, I think, to like soups and stews where where if you make it too salty, supposedly you can add like a raw potato and like let it cook in there and it'll suck up the saltiness. Have you ever tried that? I haven't tried it. And I know it's like one of the most common, commonly recommended tips. 
Yes. Have you done it? No. Me either. We need a full report from our listeners, I think. Yeah, I agree. Like for me, salty it balances with sweet and vice versa. Like if I've made something too salty, I add a little like sugar or maple syrup or honey, depending on the recipe. If I've made something too sweet, I add some salt and see yeah. if that fixes it. Those are my go-tos. What about you? Sometimes, again, this is totally dependent on the dish, adding like a sauce to something that's too salty helps. And it's like, again, very, I'm not going to add like a barbecue sauce to something that's too salty, but maybe if it's the right dish, I might add some pesto, which isn't as salty or some chimichurri that's not as salty. And those like fat, which makes me think, duh, those are both herb based. So like, honestly, you could add a bunch of fresh herbs and do the same thing, but like adding some flavors that complement the saltiness, but also like stretch that dish out a little bit, stretch that salt out a little bit. Yeah. Those are my two techniques. And also I would say like, think it through. Like if you are on step three and it's too, you like accidentally add too much salt, don't panic and try to course correct until you finish the dish. Yeah. Because it really depends. Like if you're adding a ton of zucchini, which you wouldn't think would absorb salt, but adds a lot of moisture to a dish, it's going to water it down. So like just really wait until the end and then taste it, I think. And then, you know, either add a little bit of sweetness or like you said, some fresh herbs or what else can I add here to kind of absorb and water down that saltiness. Okay, so those two, like, they address over-seasoning, but we need to get down to the, like, when you've overcooked or burned something. But let's take a quick ad break. We've had so many dinner fails. I mean, I am a horrible cook, and I keep trying, but I can't stand <laughs> to eat the same thing. So I'm always trying new things, and, like, I do not fear the dinner fail. I mean, we have one constantly. And we had somebody say a long time ago, and it really spoke to me, like, that her mom used to make like a little thing dinner and it was like a cheese and cracker and then like a little thing of this. It was like basically cleaning out the pantry and somebody was like, wait, but wasn't that the best day? Like it was like, oh, her mom felt bad because she was like, oh, I would serve you these plates of little things. And she was like, no, that was my best day. Yeah. And like, I realized my mom at a certain point, she would be like, today is pancakes for dinner. It's reverse day, it's breakfast for dinner. And we were like, oh my God, she does that because she just loves us so much and wants us to delight in this meal. And then when I be- when I had kids, I was like, oh my God, she did it because she didn't want to cook dinner. Yes. You know? <laughs> and I think that like, lean into the fail. Like kids who get pancakes for dinner because your amazing like pheasant under glass recipe didn't turn out are 10 times happier. So like- Try stuff and like if the dinner fails, your kids are going to be so psyched when they get a pizza. Megan, summer break is finally here. How are you feeling about it this year? I'm honestly feeling all of the parent feels right now. Right? I mean, there's relief that remote school's over, dread that there's no camp, concern about how we're all going to manage work family life with so many of us still at home. And guilt. With parents balancing more than ever, it's easy to feel bad about the choices we make to occupy our kids. I know, but you know what? Let's get to the good stuff because we're here with fantastic news. First off, we're writing all parents a permission slip to let go of the guilt. Y'all are doing your best and it's truly good enough. And hey, Megan, us too. Truly. And we're proud to share KiwiCo, a new sponsor making it easier for parents to keep kids busy and learning all summer long in a way that feels good to them and to us. KiwiCo creates super cool hands-on art and science projects that kids can do from home. 
Each KiwiCo box is delivered monthly and comes with all the supplies needed for that month's project, plus detailed kid-friendly instructions and a cool magazine filled with content to learn more about each crate's theme. I love the huge range of topics too. Emmett gets the koala crate designed for preschoolers and without travel this summer, Ella has been excitedly exploring through her Atlas crate subscription. And hey, KiwiCo crates are not just for younger kids. The Maker and Eureka crates are amazing for tweens and teens like my 13-year-old and there are three different options for school-aged kids like Oliver, my 10-year-old. He especially loves the science and engineering projects in the Tinker Crates. With KiwiCo's hands-on art and science projects, kids can engineer a walking robot, blast off a bottle rocket, explore colorful, kid-friendly chemistry, and more, all from the comfort of home. Everything you need to make art and science seriously fun delivered to your doorstep. I've even gotten in on the fun, which is saying a lot since the most exciting part about KiwiCo crates is that they keep my kids busy independently. <laughs> Get your first month free on select crates at kiwico.com backslash didn't I just feed you. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash didn't I just feed you. This week's episode is also brought to you by our friends at Briar's Ice Cream, America's number one ice cream brand. Stacy, you've been super open about being on a low-carb diet, but we also know that you aren't into limiting what you or your family eats. That's true. I mean, listen, eating low-carb helps me feel my best, but I've found smart ways to incorporate my favorite higher-carb foods, too, because I am not about to give up bread or ice cream. For me, time of day plays a really big role, so I save big bowls of pasta and stuff like that for dinner time. But when it comes to ice cream, which I want to be able to eat whenever a craving strikes, I love low-carb options from Breyer's CarbSmart. The CarbSmart line of frozen treats is pretty amazing. You've mentioned it before, but now that they're a sponsor, I had to try it for myself, and they are so delicious. Caramel Swirl is my favorite. Also, with 3 grams of fiber and 150 calories or less per serving, I'm psyched to have CarbSmart on hand for myself, too, even though I don't count carbs or much of anything other than flavor when it comes to ice cream. Ha! You and my boys both, they certainly don't care if their ice cream is healthy by any measure. They just want it to taste delicious, which is why they love Breyer's CarbSmart. I wouldn't expect anything less from Breyer's. After all, they've been making our favorite ice creams for over 150 years now. It's a long time. Be sure to get your hands on Briar's Carb Smart for your next sweet tooth craving. Flavors include chocolate covered almond, vanilla, and peanut butter, and are available at all of your favorite major retailers from Amazon Fresh to Walmart, Target to Kroger. We all kind of ate it, and then we're like, no, let's not <laughs> eat any more of this. And I think we just did like, microwaved hot dogs and had cereal and left it like we just pulled stuff out and it was like it's okay like I think that and I, I realized too that there is a um, there's a mindset behind like not wasting food and that not every hear me not every meal has to taste incredible for you to be willing to eat it for you to like lower yourself right. to eat it I don't mean that but this particular thing was actually pretty nasty to the point where we were like do we have to do this anymore? <laughs> it's just unpleasant <laughs> for everyone. So I think I think there is something really important to uh, remember that like sometimes it's yes. not your fault. You know, like it could really legitimately be the recipe. So I just try to like be kind to myself and to that person, not get angry at anyone, be grateful that cereal exists in the world, make some eggs. It's all going to be fine. Okay. 
So Megan, I know you want to get to overcooking, but I want to go back to seasoning for just one second. Okay. Have you ever made something too sour or too bitter? No, never. (laughs) (laughs) Bitter is a hard one to fix because I feel like it's hard to know where it came from. And then it's hard to figure out like how to course correct. It happens a lot with with when I cook greens and like long cooking greens, like collards can sometimes be bitter. And those like you have to be proactive to make them not bitter. Yeah. Yeah. So I get the bitter a lot when I use like a lot of dried spices. Like even though I always try to toast my spices first to kind of bring out the oil in them, you know, sometimes you just get that like bitter powdery flavor. Yes. I find that fat and sweetness kind of help those. Like, and it's funny that you brought up greens because I wasn't really thinking about that. But sometimes when my like long cooked greens are bitter, I will add a little bit of sugar. I use sugar and then like acid, like vinegar. Yeah. This all comes back to this, like I, this idea, right? Samin, she's written about this. Salt, acid, fat, heat. Like if something is too sour, adding a little bit of like salty or even a little bit of bitter or a little bit of sweet will help balance all of it. Right. Actually, I think that that's a great reference book. Because what she does with that book is break down the elements of flavor and what every cook, professional cook is trying to do is get as many of those into balance as possible. And then there are some cuisines that want them out of balance, but in this very balanced way. So like Thai food will stretch the acid (laughs) flavors, right? And stretch the heat a little bit more. And that's when you get those tensions. But it's all about this line where all of a sudden they click into something that tastes really delicious. So I actually think that's a good kind of yardstick that as you find that something's out of balance in your in your cooking, go back to this idea of salt, fat, acid, and heat. Heat is not so much for like seasoning, but the salt, fat, acid, and then sweet for seasoning is something that you can think about. Um, And that can kind of guide. I also think, I don't want to go too far off this path, but I also think this speaks to something that we really hope to um, encourage and empower home cooks to not feel like they are tethered to recipes all the time and to start building their own cooking instinct. Because that way you go faster, you end up having less waste because you like know how to fix something, you know how to improvise. And so use your taste buds, like use your sense of smell, use your sense of taste, taste it and like think about it. Like we're going to give you the basics, salt and sweet, they are opposites. Bitter and fat, like fat helps smooth things out. But taste and kind of experiment as you go and like add little bits of something to course correct and see if you can like make the magic happen, get things back into balance. I also really like the flavor Bible, which is another yeah, it's a like, great one. Great yeah. reference. And what I like about that is like if you are really struggling, maybe you're trying like a new to you vegetable and you just actually don't like the way it tastes. It's not about it being too spicy or too salty or overcooked or whatever. Um, It will give you ideas for like a fresh spice or fresh herb or dry herb or like a sauce that will complement that vegetable and make it more delicious, which is like a little bit what we're talking about, right? Like 
if you come to something and you find that it's too sour for your liking or it's too bitter for your liking, maybe that's the way the recipe was intended. But if you don't like it there, you can still adjust it um, and not waste that food, which is at the end of the day what we all want. Right. Totally. Should we talk about overcooking meat? Yeah. Or undercooking meat? Well, undercooking, I think, is, like, usually easy because you can, even if you've already, like, cut into something, you can stick it back in the oven or, like, throw it in the saute pan with a little bit of moisture and, like, gently bring it to the correct temperature without drying it out. That's what I want to focus on very quickly. Okay. Gentle heat. Don't try to, like, resear it. You're going to dry it out. And I also recommend, um, especially with chicken, the cut side down. Yes. So that will help you get your meat back up to temperature without drying it out completely. Yes. What about overcooking? Cheese or sauce? (laughs) You are so ready. (laughs) Done, done, and done. Yeah. I can't tell you how much dry ass chicken I've eaten in my life. Like so, so much. I only can imagine how much you've eaten in writing a chicken cookbook. That's it. That's all I I have, like, literally sauce, which we say sauce, but go back and listen to the sauce episode because a sauce is can also include, like, a vinaigrette or it can include, like, a bottled sauce. It can include pestos. Like, there's so many things that fall under the category of sauce that aren't, like, you're making a Maltembeur pan sauce to save your chicken cutlets. Like, you don't need to do that. There's probably something in your pantry or in your fridge drawer that you can use to save it. totally. I will also say slicing the meat thinly before you serve it. Yes. Like, I do a lot of overcooked pork chops. (laughs) I don't know why. Like, I really don't know why. No, that's that's a through line in my life. And everybody's like, like pulling. But like, then just get your sharp ass knife and slice it real thin, drizzle a little like chimichurri that literally doesn't even have to be like a real classic one. Like literally just chop up whatever herbs you have in there, like a little basil, a little chives, red wine vinegar, a tiny bit of oil, drizzle it on top, none the wiser. I mean, you know, it may not be like your favorite meal ever, but it works. Cut the meat thin. Yes, I can't believe I forgot to mention that one. Okay, here's a fun question. Actually, Sarah Gentry in our listeners group asked this. My most common mistake is trying a new recipe and no one really likes it. And then I have a bunch of leftovers no one will eat. It would be nice to have a way to save these meals. Oof, that's a tough one. I I was like, I know what she's going to ask. I know what she's going to ask. I'm ready. Order pizza. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I I fix my mistakes. Okay. I do find with some of those things like, Honestly, if we if I make a big batch of something and no one seems really into it, I will freeze it. This is so shady. Is this shady? I don't know. I'll freeze it. And then later, like, I'll serve it again as new and different, even if it's like the exact same thing. And I just froze it and defrosted it. If it's freeze freezeable. I I don't think that's shady. I do think that this is a hard question to answer generically, but some like... I don't know, for me at least. But I think that some things to think about are how, well, first of all, if it's a new recipe, please don't make a double batch. Like, please, yeah, (laughs) like start there. If it's a new ingredient that you're not sure your kids will like, and that's really important to you that you want them to like it too for it to feel useful, like start it as a side. So those are some like prep thinking, like things that you should think about before you jump in. Now you already have the dish. Is there some way you can parse it out? 
Like is it, if it has chicken in it, shredded chicken, is there any way you can use tongs to kind of pull out the shredded chicken? And hey, listen, it is not beyond me. If it has like a light dressing on it, rinse it, rinse it, pat it dry, put it in the fridge and then use it in tacos, you know? But I is there like any this way- advice is from personal experience. Yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. But like, is there any way you can pull it out? Like, is there any way you can pull out the zucchini or whatever it is? And then thinking about like the way you think about reappropriating leftovers for lunch, or if you're one of those families that doesn't like leftovers served in exactly the same format, like what are those tricks that you pull out of your back pocket? Putting things in a wrap, mm, turning it into a taco, um, frittata it. Frittata it. Like those are the same tricks I would use. I, I think those are all great answers. Do you have any now, thing? here's the question I'm going to ask you that we now already know your answer to. What do you do when you like, you really, you just like really f- it up and you, dinner is inedible? I definitely order food. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> order. I live in New York. I can get something quick. And I know this is really wasteful. I'm ashamed, but we're all about transparency and honesty here. I'll throw it away. I'm like, I don't even want to deal with it. I can't, I cannot be faced with my <laughs> I'm not reappropriating that. If it's like nasty, it's nasty. It's nasty. Yeah. It's gotta go. I have to tell you, like when you develop recipes at home and sometimes you're like on your third try of something and it's still not right. Like I'm not going to force my family to eat 100%, it. hundred percent. I am with you. If I can, I might freeze it and then doctor it up later. But like there are times where food is wasted. I have two other quick ones before we go. Overcooked pasta. Yeah. What do you do for overcooked pasta? You eat it. Pasta is (laughs) pasta. Got nothing for you. No carb left behind. No carb left behind. If it's undercooked, though, one of the things that I always recommend is that you save a mug full of your pasta cooking water. And you can listen to our pasta episode to understand why. It's absolutely critical. But once I got into that habit, I also started using tongs to remove my pasta from the cooking water and transfer it from the pot to the colander, Mm. right? Using tongs because then I have the water and I don't forget and drain it all by accident, et cetera. Also, having some of the pasta cooking water left on the pasta itself also helps with saucing it. So I can always just dump my pasta back in. I like to use a spider, like a spider strainer for that same thing. Also, this is something I just thought of and I actually haven't tried it, but it might work. If you realize your pasta is overcooked and you want to like get it to stop cooking immediately, but you don't want to rinse off like the pasta water and rinse off all the flavor because it's a, or because you're going to add sauce to it. There's a trick for when you overcook rice, you like immediately dump it onto a ba- a rimmed baking sheet and spread it out into an even layer. And you can even like dry it a little bit in a warm, low oven. So I wonder if you could do that also with pasta, at least stop yes. the cooking, spread it out onto yes. a baking sheet really fast so that it doesn't like continue to overcook like in the colander in your sink while you're trying to like figure it out. Like, that just is immediately. genius because do not rinse it with cold water. I don't care yeah. how overcooked it is, but spreading it out, right? Because when rice and pasta is all clumped up together, the residual heat is all bouncing around still in there, but you spread it yeah. out and everything cools faster. 
I had one more, but I have two more. Lightning round. They're both for you because I feel like you do these <gasps> okay. things a okay, lot. Okay, okay, okay. No Everyone pressure. needs to know how to fix their gravy. Okay. Uh, my favorite rule of thumb. <laughs> I know your voice so well that you're like, okay, right. Snap into seriousness. I've got answers. No, I've got answers. <laughs> you cannot thick a thin gravy, but you can thin a thick gravy. So always err on the side of like, if you're building a gravy to add more of your flour or cornstarch in the beginning part, like in like when you're maybe adding it to make a roux in the pan, or maybe you're sprinkling it over your ground meat that's already like has some fat. That is the place to like be generous with the flour, because even if you like once you add the liquid, if your gravy is really thick, it's way easier to correct that than it is to like try and add a slurry and like not get lumps in it and like try to thicken it back up. Does that make sense? You can thin a thick gravy, but you cannot thick a thin gravy. That makes sense. Okay. And then a baking, like I know I'm lumping, this is probably a whole episode, but like undercooked cookies, overcooked, overbaked cookies. Okay. This is, we should actually maybe do a whole episode about baking mistakes. Yes, I would Um, love that. I need to, I need those answers. So underbaked cookies, I mean, some people are like into that. They want the gooey center. I am. If you can, you can stick them back into the oven. You know, Sarah Kiefer of the Vanilla Bean blog, she's like world famous for her pan bang cookies, which you like take them out partway in their cooking and you pull like you completely pull them out of the oven and bang them on your countertop or on the stovetop and then put them back in and it gives a really delightful texture so if your cookies underbaked usually you can pop it back in the oven and it'll be just fine for other things like brownies and like skillet cookies which we we, we've talked about on the show before that's a little bit harder to correct like especially once it's cooled and same thing like cakes. So you really want to make sure that they're cooked enough before you take them out. If you're investing that time. All right. Overcooked cookies where they're kind of like dry, you know, there's like, I've never tried it, but there's all those kind of tips, like where you put them in a container with like a couple slices of bread and the bread like dries out, but the cookies absorb the moisture or I've seen apple slices. I've never tried that. So I can't say, but I think it's like her a whole cookies kit. always come out perfect. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I love it. But like, I'll pivot. If I overbake cookies, like we're having ice cream sandwiches or we're having ice cream yes, sundaes. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say crumble them up. Like they're on the, uh, no cookie wasted in my house. Yes. is what I would say. Yes. I think ending with no cookie wasted is the perfect choice to pause. Can we um, add that to our list of t-shirts that we're going to yes. at some point send out in our newsletter? We're going to have a whole fashion line at some point. <laughs> a whole fashion line. But speaking of our newsletter, make sure that you're subscribed to it. It's fantastic. It helps make sure that you don't miss a thing. You get a bonus recipe. And every Friday, we send out our favorite weekly finds. You can subscribe to that newsletter by following the link in bio on Instagram or the link on Facebook or on Didn't I Just Feed You? Can you tell we're serious about our newsletter? Yeah, we're also serious about Instagram and Facebook. And we want to make sure that you're following us there where we are at Didn't I Just Feed You? And also while you're on Facebook, join our private listeners group. It's super fun. The code word to enter is whiskey or tell us about your favorite cocktail. Also, if you haven't already, I I don't know why you haven't. (laughs) 
make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss an episode. And we love it when you leave us a review or tell your friends about us. Our music is Good Old Times by Alex Cohen, provided by Jimendo. A huge thank you to our editor, Samantha Getzik. I'm Stacey. And I'm Megan. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. Next week, our 100th episode. So my dinner fail is I, I am going to sort of brag here, and I don't mean to, but living in New York City, a dinner fail is just not a problem because you can, within half an hour, have literally one of 72 kinds of cuisine delivered to your door. It makes it hard to cook because they can do it better and it's always there. But I have no problem with the, well, I would have said the book of menus, but these days it's on seamless, like boop, boop, boop. Sometimes I'm on my way home from somewhere, seamlessing something to meet us at the house so I don't have to cook. Um, but it's it's saved me from dinner fails, including a dinner party that I, I made this chicken dish that was just taking too long to cook. I didn't know why. It was because I was cooking bone-in chicken pieces instead of boneless. I'm not that good a cook either. So it was taking like 75 minutes longer than it was supposed to. And eventually we just (laughs) gave up and had Thai food. It was great. (laughs) 